let's go ahead and stand tonight. Everybody okay? Boy, that was some moaning and groaning right there. Hey, thank you for being with us online tonight. We're so glad that you've tuned in. We're excited uh, that you're with us. We're going to go ahead and open up in prayer tonight. How many have a need that you'll just signify by lifting your hand? If you're online tonight, if you'll comment, we want to pray with you as well. Uh, we do want to pray for, um, well, Katie Sanders uh, is recovering from having shoulder replacement. Uh, so I talked to her today. Thurman had been in the hospital over the weekend, so we want to lift them up in prayer, and then also for Wanda Bolt. Um, some of you may have heard um, she was sent home from the hospital on hospice, uh, and it's not looking um, all that great uh, for her. So we want to pray. I went over there last night with them, and then uh, and then a little bit this afternoon. So let's just pray uh, for again many needs in our church family. Uh, let's continue to pray for all the ministries that are going on campus tonight, and we want to continue praying for revival. Uh, God, let it, let it begin with us. So let's pray. Father, tonight we are grateful, Lord, to be able to come together and study your word. Lord, I thank you that your word says that where two or three gather in your name, you're there. And so, Father, tonight, regardless of what the week has been like so far, Lord, I thank you that we can come and just for a few moments tonight, we can enter into your presence and that we find that joy and that peace and that comfort. And Father, I thank you that we have history, that we look back and we see how many times that you've always come through for us. Lord, you're an ever-present help in our times of trouble. And I pray for the hands that went up in the building tonight. No matter what the need is, no matter how, um, what the situation or circumstance that we might find ourselves in, Lord, tonight we just dare to believe that with you all things are possible. Lord, we pray for those that need a healing touch tonight. Lord, the word reveals that you are Jehovah Rapha, the God of healing. I pray let healing be found. I pray for those that are online tonight that are not feeling well, those that might be in the hospital or recovering tonight or in the rehab center. Lord, we just pray that you would uphold with your powerful right hand and that you would minister comfort and healing. Lord, I pray for those that are just kind of going through some difficult things tonight. Lord, I pray that you would uphold them with your powerful right hand and that you would minister to them and encourage them. Uh, Lord, for all the ministries taking place tonight, we ask, Father, that you would, uh, Lord, just be lifted high in each and every one and that you would be exalted above all. And Lord, I pray for our study tonight. Open our hearts and let us hear what the Spirit says to us. Uh, Lord, we again cry out for revival in our land, Lord, we ask you, Lord, just begin, breathe upon us with the pneuma of the Holy Spirit. Lord, we commit this time and service to you right now. Thank you for all that you do. And we declare it in the mighty name of Jesus. And we all said, amen. 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 God bless you. you. May be seated tonight. Uh, go ahead and turn with me to the book of John, the gospel of John, chapter 20. John chapter 20. And while you're turning there, a couple of announcements. First of all, don't forget to uh, that tomorrow is our... Uh, food distribution. Uh, this is the one, this is the fourth Thursday. It will be here on property. Uh, so meet about 8.30 tomorrow morning. Uh, we are still going to do, uh, do the distribution on this side of the building over here. So uh, I know uh, two weeks ago we actually did it underneath the awning. Uh, tomorrow we're going to move it over here. Now we are looking at maybe restructuring a little bit and bringing both of them on onto the property. Uh, right now we do the second uh, Thursday of the month is at Yellow Jacket Stadium, and then this one here on the 4th is here. We may just actually bring them here, both here on the property. We've been doing it long enough now that I think uh, one of the reasons we did it out there was the visibility. 
you know, as people drive by and if they need food, the food insecurity in our in, in, in their community, Johnson County is one of the uh, one of the counties that's high on the list of food insecurity in Texas. So uh, anyway, tomorrow said all that to say this: tomorrow is our food distribution. Don't forget Sunday we kick off a new sermon series. We're back to doing our two services: eight thirty Sunday school at nine forty-five. And then uh, regular uh, worship at 1045. I'm kicking off a new series this Sunday uh, entitled Foolproof, F-O-O-L, Foolproof. Uh, I was thinking when I came up with the title Foolproof, I was thinking about uh, the Sanford and Son. Didn't she used to tell him, yo, fool? <laughs> I don't know. My mom used to watch that, so I kind of have those, those memories. I don't want to be an old fool, you know? So anyway, we'll kick that off on on uh, on Sunday, and then also don't forget on the 8th, which is uh, 10 days from now, a week from Sunday, we're doing our Fall Family Fun Day, uh, and that is a day that, you know, we kind of dress down. We have lunch that will be out. Uh, at, we are going to continue with the two services, but after the 1045 service, we'll have hamburgers, hot dogs. We're asking families to bring chips and drinks for their family. We've got bounce houses for the kids. We'll have activities for the, you know, we're praying that the weather gets down into the, at least the lower 80s. Um, you know, we had fake fall. I'm ready for real fall. So, so we got 10 days to pray in some cooler weather, and uh, so we have that going on. And, uh, you know, this is a busy time of year. We do a lot of ministry, a lot of outreach, a lot of things that, uh, we, you know, I just enjoy a church that's not afraid of work. Uh, on the missions co- uh, convention this past week, uh, I will tell you that, uh, again, they so the missionaries asked me what the total was in in faith promises, and I said, "Well, you got to wait three weeks because every week one third of the congregation's out. That's pretty typical." Uh, but as it stands right now, just the initial calculation, we're at seventy five thousand committed to missions, which is really really good for the first. Amen. That's a good place to do that. Um, and for the fire Bible. Uh, the special offering we were able to, to give to the Silk Road Project, uh, Kazakhstan, the, the, the Fire Bible, $10,000 uh, to be able to go to them. So amen, praise the Lord for being able to do that. We, uh, we're excited to partner with this new Fire Bible Project and get things rolling. Anyway, let's get right into our teaching tonight. Again, we're, uh, we started last week a, a, um, a new series, Standing on His Promises, and so tonight we're going to be talking about the promise of eternal life, the promise of eternal life. So John chapter 20, verse 31, simply reads like this, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. Let's read it again. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. Some, some translations render that you may have eternal life. Uh, either way, it works. Uh, may the Lord add his blessing to his word tonight. Now, again, as we talk about the promise of eternal life, uh, you, you probably have heard me say a number of times that of all the religions in our world today, Christianity is the one that is most vilified. I don't, I don't think you have to go very far to 
to see that uh, played out. I don't think you would have to go very far to see that as an example of all the world religions. And remember, there are over 4,300 uh, different world religions right now. And of all of them, the one that seems to be vilified the most is Christianity. And the reason is that all other religions make it possible for there to be multiple roads that lead to heaven, whereas Christianity is very exclusive. Right, one way. So, so you have all of these other religions. Uh, in fact, uh, who would ever forget when Oprah, uh, some years ago on her, on her television show, looked at the lady and said, Jesus Christ can't possibly be the only way. So, so the reason that Christianity is vilified by so many around the world is because of its exclusive nature. With Christianity, there are not multiple ways that lead to heaven. There's only one, and that is through Jesus Christ. Uh, you know, Christianity says that the only road uh, that leads to heaven, or excuse me, that there's only one road that leads to heaven, and then every other way is wrong. So in our culture today, guess what? Nobody likes to be told they're wrong, right? No, nobody wants to hear that, well, that's not correct, or you're not. Uh, in, in fact, I think uh, our teachers might even would validate this. They, they're, 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 they're not even allowed to say that they're wrong. To, you know, when my son was in middle school many, many years ago, uh, he was coming home with math papers that were, he would have like 30s and 40s in his daily assignment, and then I'd get his report card and he'd have a B. And I thought, well, that didn't, just didn't make sense to me. So I called his teacher and I said, look, I'm, I'm having a hard time understanding. Maybe your tests are weighted. Uh, more than the daily work, but here's what I'm seeing in my in his folder, and yet your his report card is he's got a high C or a low B, and I said I don't understand it. Does there's no correlation there to me? And she said, Oh, we can't we can't fail anyone that if he participates, he's going to make a good grade. And I and and I just thought that was really bizarre uh, because in my in my thinking, two plus two is four. Anyway, I don't want to chase rabbits. You understand. Christianity, that's the way it is. Christianity says, look, there's not many ways to get to heaven. There's only one. And because of that, Christianity is hated around the world. And that's the rub of our culture. In our politically, climate, uh, politically correct climate that we live in, there is very little tolerance, if, if any at all, on exclusive truth claims. In fact, the, the buzz phrase today is that we can't know truth that there's no such thing as absolute truth. Many, and, and many churches, unfortunately, have caved into this. You've got some pastors that get up and say, well, you know, you just can't know anything for certain. I don't know about you, but that's a sad way to live. Uh, you just can't know everything with certainty. And, and here's what's happening is this religion of uncertainty is causing many people to bail out on their beliefs, and many others are becoming spiritually shipwrecked. Because there is no security, there is no certainty. And that's why we just finished up that series on studying through the book of First John, the letter of First John. The whole end part behind 1 John is certainty. It's assurance that if Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior of our lives, we are sure of eternal life, and we'll talk about that. And, and I can just tell you for here, you know, I'm not ashamed to say I'm a Bible man. I'm not, I'm not ashamed to say that I'm anchored in God's eternal word, and that's not going to change 
with the seasons of life. Uh, you know, the psalmist said, forever, O Lord, your word is what? Settled or established in heaven. There's no, there, James said, there's no variations. There's no shadow of turning with him. He's constant and he's certain. Uh, you know, we're going to continue preaching that Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven, that marriage is a covenant between one man and one woman, and that, that the unborn child still matters to God. That's the message that we're going to speak in this culture. Now, I promise you that that's going to, that's going to irritate some people. And it's going to, again, I don't think anywhere in Scripture are we called to, to be an antagonist. I do believe we've been called to stand for what's right. And what is right is not measured by sticking my finger in my mouth and holding up to the wind and seeing which way popular opinion blows. The arbiter of what is right and wrong is God's word, has always been God's word, will always be God's word. It's, uh, <coughs> pardon me, uh, because it's the arbiter of what is right and wrong, for this I'll never apologize. You know, listen, in a world that's filled with uncertainty, it is comforting to me to know that I can anchor in the certainty of God's word. And again, this is one of the reasons why I wanted us to tackle some of the promises of God. There are 7,487 positive promises of God in, his, in the Word. How many of them do I know? How many of them have I anchored my life in? How many of them do I rely on when the, when, when the wind becomes contrary, when the wind and the seas toss me about? How many of those promises do I know in my heart that help me go through the tough times of life? Again, that's why I said the Bible has established that God's word is already settled. You know, that's when we start talking about eschatology or end time, end time events. We have to understand there's not a battle in some, some point in the future that's going to decide who's going to rule the universe. That's already been decided. Before the foundation of the world, it had already been decided that God wins. And so when you start talking about the Battle of Armageddon, you start talking about, you know, all of those conflicts and things like that, that's not a battle to decide who's going to rule the universe between good and evil. It's already been decided. That's just the day that, we, that God enforces what's already been determined. So, so his word has already been established, and it's settled, and it's not going to vary. So tonight as we look, uh, we're going to look at the promise of eternal life for those who have been born again. And the reason we start here is because how many know eternity is a long time? With, with, with our missionary on Sunday, with, with Jeff, we were talking on Saturday, and, and we got on the subject there for just a little bit of eternity. And I said, you know, here's the way I look at it. Eternity, we talk about eternity being a long, long time. I don't think, term, uh, I don't think eternity is a quantitative time. I believe it's a place that exists outside of time. That's why we sing that song, When We've Been There, 10,000 years, what does it say? We've all, well, we've only just begun. It's not a quantity, it's a quality, it's a place. And, and, and so eternity is a long time, so we better figure out where we're going, right? <laughs> you know, time is short and hell is forever. So uh, last week, and I'll say it again, I'm going to give you a lot of Scripture. Because if we're going to anchor in the Word of God, or the promises of God, then they need to be built on his foundation. Again, we get into trouble when, when we opine what we think and don't rely on what God says. So I'll give you a lot of scripture tonight, and we'll build on that foundation for every promise moving forward that we're going to cover. 
So let me start with this. Have you ever struggled with doubt about your salvation? I, I think probably most people at some point in their spiritual journey, we, we've struggled with that. You know, we grew up in a time when, when we heard that old mantra that says, if it sounds too good to be true, it probably is. And, and, and so we, we approach salvation with this idea that all I have to do is utter a few words and God's grace is going to forgive me of everything I've ever done and that's it. There's no more accountability. I, for us, that sounds almost like a scam, right? I mean, it just sounds too good to be true. And so it, at certain times of our life, you know, maybe it's not that. Maybe at certain times of our life when we really are overwhelmed with maybe temptation, maybe the enemy has come and there's, there's temptation and we, we have that little, that little, you know, the devil that uh, pops up and says, well, you know, if you were such a good Christian, you wouldn't think that or you wouldn't say that or you wouldn't do that. And so he kind of reinforces, well, then maybe I'm just, maybe I'm not. You know, people struggle. People struggle with their, uh, with, their, with their own idea of salvation or with salvation. You know, there are a lot of people when you ask them if they're going to heaven, and I've actually heard people say this. If you ask them, hey, are you, are you going to heaven? And they'll say, well, I sure hope so. I sure hope so. And, and, and some people go as far as being fearful of their eternal state. But here's the thing, we don't have to be. We, we don't have to be afraid uh, you know, I mentioned I had a funeral yesterday, and, and one of the things I said at the funeral, and, and I say it pretty often at, at, when I officiate a funeral, is that there are people that have a very difficult time with their own mortality. The, the idea of, of death, you know, used to in ancient times, death was not looked at as something to be feared. Not, uh, you know, Paul, Paul described it as a departure. That, that was his idea about death. It was a departure. Uh, you know, it's just moving from one place to another. Um, there are a lot of people that are fearful when it comes to the idea of their future abode, wherever that might be. But God has weighed in on it. If you are a born-again believer, which means, again, Jesus told Nicodemus, remember what he said? You must be born again. So if you are born again, if Christ is Lord of your life, then there really is no need for us to fear tomorrow. There's no need to fear the future state of where, where we are because God has already weighed in and he's given us great and precious promises regarding our eternal destiny. And it's something that we can be certain of. So, so think about this. There are four possibilities related to this promise. Number one is to be lost and know you're lost. That's tragic. I've heard people say, well, you know what? Religion is just too stuffy for me. If I'm going to go to hell, I'm going to go on the place. And that's kind of a sad thing to hear because they really don't have a concept of what hell is. So, so to be lost and know you're lost, that's a tragic thing. To be lost and think you're saved, that's a dangerous thing. You know, what did Jesus say? Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom, but he who does the will of my Father. To be saved and not know for sure, that's unsettling. That's unsettling. To be saved and know that you're secure, now that's comforting. That's comforting, and that's the point that, that we are aiming for is to get to a place where we are secure in what Christ has already done. I'm co Listen, I'm confident right now that if my time were to come, Hebrews 9.27 says it's appointed unto man once to die, and after this, I'm, a, I'm confident 
that if I draw my last breath tonight, I'll take my first breath there. I, I'm, I'm confident of that because that's what the Bible teaches. And I'm safe in his arms. You know, tonight as we look in the Gospel of John, our text comes from the Gospel of John. Remember, the Gospel of John is known as the Gospel of Belief. The Gospel of Belief. This is the very first book of the Bible that I encourage new believers to read. In fact, I'll say start out with John, read all the way through the Gospel of John, go back and read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and do John again because it's the Gospel of Belief. And, and uh, our text tonight, and, and here's a, a very variant of that Scripture, it says, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. Of the 42 instances of the phrase eternal life in the Bible, 22 of them are found in John's writings. Eternal life is a big deal. It's an important thing. Of course, the, like I said, I'm going to give you a lot of scripture. Of course, one of the most famous passages in all of the Bible is found in John 3.16, right? It reads, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have, What? Everlasting life. That's what John 3, 16, that's how it reads. But then John doesn't stop there because then he adds in verse 17 and 18, and he said, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn him, but that the world through him might be saved. And in verse 18, He who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. We go on John three thirty six. He who believes in the Son has what? Everlasting life. He who believes in the Son has everlasting life, and he who does not believe the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. Again, pretty clear. John five twenty four. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life. And shall not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. John six forty, And this is the will of him who sent me, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up at the last day. Another one I like is John 10, 27 through 30, says, My sheep hear my voice, and, will, and I know them. And they follow me, and I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Neither shall anyone, I love this part, snatch them out of my hand. Isn't that good? You want to talk about being secure in Christ? He said, they'll, they'll, no one shall snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. You know, there's a couple observations about that I thought were very important. And, and let me just kind of give those to you real quickly. Number one, the first thing I noticed in that passage there in John 10 is that true sheep listen and follow the leading of the shepherd. My sheep hear my voice and will not follow another. The second observation is that he, John writes that Jesus knows those who belong to him. In, in other words, the word hypocrite, how many have ever heard the word hypocrite before? <laughs> you know the word hypocrite is a, is a theatrical term. It's, it, it comes from the theater. And, and what it means is to pretend, basically, in, in, 
just kind of rudiment uh, language. It just means pretend. A hypocrite is to pretend that you're a believer. But Jesus said here that I know who belongs to me. So, so have you ever run across somebody that can quote scripture and they do all of these things, but yet they're not believers? Again, that's why I say all the time, we have to be very careful as a Christian who we allow to speak into your life. Because not everybody that is religious sounding is actually sent from God. I, that, I mean, that's the honest truth. Not everybody that speaks religiously or can quote scriptures or, 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 or things of that nature, they're not from God. You've got to be very discerning about that. Jesus said, I know who's mine. I know who belongs to me. And, and, and in fact, I, I, love, I love what Paul said to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 1. Um, you know, in, in regard to this promise here, he knows who belongs to him, and he's very comfortable keeping us safe. Paul said, I know in whom I have believed in, and I am persuaded. Persuaded about what? That he's able to keep that which I've committed or entrusted to him until that day. That's pretty powerful. When I entrust my life to Christ, I'm persuaded that he's able to keep it. Again, those observations, we go on. Uh, the third observation is that eternal life is a gift given by our Savior. Again, think about what that means, the implication of that. Our salvation depends entirely on what Jesus Christ has done and nothing that we do. That's a big deal. I'll cover that a little bit more a little bit later, but, but how many people today struggle with the idea that somehow they've got to do more to earn their salvation? I've told you before, 30 years ago, you know, as a young minister, when I started out pastoring this church, you know, I was 27 years old, still quite green around, <laughs> you know, just quite green and learning and growing. And, and I thought that it all was on my shoulders to accomplish. And, and it took a, a period of time for the Lord to teach me that my job is to be faithful in the call, and his job is to take care of the results of that call. Does that make sense? You know, that, so, so you've heard me say before, there would, I can remember many times uh, back in the late 90s and the early 2000s, and we might have a low attendance day, and, you know, and, 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 and it would bother me. You can ask my daughter. I, I, would, I would go through a depression, that's a strong word, but I would get down. I'd feel down. And in my prayer time, I would say something like, well, well God, didn't I, didn't I pray enough this week? Didn't I read the Bible enough this week? Didn't I make some contacts this week? You know, and again, putting it all on my shoulders. And, and, and God had to get a hold of me one day and just like, wait a minute, this is not your job. It's not your responsibility. And I think sometimes we struggle with salvation because we feel like there's more we ought to be doing. Now, again, I, we can talk about the, the external evidence of salvation. We can talk about the responsibilities that Paul said in Ephesians 2 and 10 that we are his workmanship. There are things that we should be doing. But for salvation, it's not on me. It's a gift. It's a gift. Another observation from John 10 is that those who know him never perish. I like that. My life is settled with him forever. In the Greek, 
That's a double negative, and it simply means they will indeed not perish ever. That's a covenant that when we entrust our lives to him and receive that gift of eternal life, we will never perish again. Number five, our salvation, I like this one, cannot be stolen. Again, I think Christians need to be very careful about getting this idea that the enemy, the devil, is running about. And the Bible says he's like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. He's a thief that comes, John 10.10. 10, he's a thief that comes to steal, kill, and to destroy. But be very careful about, about giving too much to him because there's one thing he can't do. Remember, he's like the big bad wolf. He can huff and he can puff, but he can't blow your spiritual house down. And that's what he says here in John 10, is that the word snatch, the word snatch that John uses means to, to, to pluck or to take by force. And what he's saying is that, listen, when you entrust yourself into Christ, into his hands, there's not a devil in hell big enough that can pluck you out. That's comforting right there. That, that gives us some assurance that, you know what, let him come. Let him huff and let him puff. But if you rest in that relationship, that vertical relationship, there's not anything he can do about it. Number, number six, another observation is that the greatness of the Father is, is the ground of safety for the believer. And, and, and what I mean by that is, and, and I can, let me describe it with this quote from A.W. Pink. And I came across a new word, and I'm going to say it to you, and I'll tell you what it meant because I had to look it up too. This is a quote uh, he said, the promises of God are unimpeachable. He will be, and let me see if I can say it again, punct punctilious. He will be punctilious in securing the eternal welfare of those whom he has appointed to heavenly glory. Now, the word punctilious means meticulous. I thought, well, why didn't he just say that? <laughs> or thorough. <laughs> you know, so there's your word of the day. Go to, go to the office tomorrow and Tell somebody that you're punctilious. He goes on. He said, though the world, the flesh, and the devil combine against him, he cannot be frustrated. He who triumphed over the grave cannot be thwarted by any feebleness or fickleness of his people. Those whom he pardons, he preserves. What does that mean? It means that when we entrust our lives to Christ and we are born again, we're safe in his arms. We're safe in his hands. That's comforting. That's a promise of God. Eternal life in him. You remember the slogan? Um, trying to think who it was. You're in good hands, Allstate. You're in good hands with Allstate. I don't even get on the insurance business. Uh, <laughs> everybody remembers the ditty. You know, you're in good hands with Allstate. Well, John says that, you know what? If you've entrusted your life into his hands, you are in good hands with Jesus Christ. You're in good hands with him. Uh, no one is more secure than being in the hands of Jesus. You know, the Gospel of John, again, I love his writings because, he, you know, he, he, he wrote John, the Gospel, and then he wrote 1, 2, and 3 John, and then he wrote Revelation. And, uh, you know, when you read John, the Gospel of John, it shows us how to be saved, if you get to the letter of 1 John, it shows us how to be certain that we're saved. Remember, we, we just finished this study on 1 John, but I want to kind of do a little bit of review because 
it is, it's germane to what we're talking about tonight. 1 John 2, 25, here's what John writes. He said, and this is the promise that he has promised us eternal life. Eternal life. I want you to think about that. We're promised eternal life. We need to know that we're secure in that life that he's given to us. Um, in this letter, John tells us that the purpose in writing is so that we might know that we have eternal life. In 1 John 5, 11 and 13, he, he writes, And this is the testimony that God has given us eternal life, that this life is in his Son. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life and that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. Isn't that a powerful verse? Again, I, I make some observations about that passage of Scripture. The word testimony in that, in that uh, passage there is the word for witness, and, and it's used as a courtroom setting. So in the Greek, the word witness is, is, is a legal term. And so what it pictures is that God is on the witness stand declaring that eternal life is in his Son. He's a witness. He bears witness that if you have the Son, you have eternal life. And again, when you add all of this stuff up, please understand, he's saying that, look, when you invest your life in Christ, and there are people today that say, well, you know, I, I don't want to become a Christian because if I do, I've got to quit doing this. And, you know, we, we frame our, our faith on what we can't do. Do you know that's a ploy of the enemy? It's the negative. It's always you can't do this. And, you know, we, we've reduced the gospel down to a list of things that we can and cannot do. The gospel is so much bigger than that. What he wants you to do is focus on that little bitty. Some of you might remember years ago. I mean, it was, I mean I'm talking years ago. You probably wouldn't remember. But I was trying to illustrate this point of how we, we as people tend to focus on the, the, the little insignificant things. And what I did was I took a poster uh, paper, white, and I put a black dot right in the middle of it. And I held it up and I said, what do you see? And everybody without fail says, I see a black dot on that paper. I said, that's the point. You miss all of this white stuff here and you focus on that little bitty dot. That's, that's, that's what we do. We, we focus on those insignificant things. What he's saying is, look, if you have given your life to Christ, if you are born again, you're in his hand, and there's nothing that can be done to take you out. There's no devil in hell. There's no, uh, what did Paul say in Romans chapter 8? What shall, who, what can separate us from the love of God? Nothing. Nay, in all of these things, we are, what? More than conquerors. Nor height. Nothing. Eternal life is another thing, and I talked about this when we were doing our study on first. John, but eternal life is the present possession of the believer. What, that, what does that mean? It means the moment that you accepted Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, you had eternal life. It belonged to you as a present possession. It's not something that we have to wait for in the sweet by and by. We have it in the nasty now and now. It's the promise that we have when we accepted Christ. Notice, notice what he said, verse 11. He has given, verse 12, has life. Verse 13, you have eternal life. 
Again, it's a, it's a present possession from God. It's ours when we are born again. Eternal life, not only is it a present possession, it's also a future fact. So what does that mean? Well, what it means is because of the new birth, when we leave this world, we're going to reunite, we're going to reunite with Christ forever. Presently, I have eternal life. When I leave this world, I have it forever in the future. That's why, remember what Paul said? Paul said, we are presently seated with Christ at the right hand. Our present position in Christ is there in heaven, seated in heavenly places is what the Bible says. Another thing I notice in here is God wants us to know for certain. Again, so that you may know. That's what John wrote, so that you may know. Again, how many of us struggle with the idea that, that we have to perform? And that, that's really what it come, boils down to. 39 times in 1 John, we find the word know, K-N-O-W. Sounds like God's trying to say, hey, I want you to be sure. In a world, religion of un, in a world that's filled with religious uncertainty, I want you to know. I want you to know you have eternal life. If you have the Son, you have life. I want you to know this. I want you to know this. Kind of like being in school again. I want you to know it. <laughs> Get it down. When the enemy comes and tries to berate you and beat you over the head with doubt, all you got to do is say, you know what? He wants me to know I have eternal life in Christ. You know, it's not a, it's not a feeling that I have. And that's where we get kind of bogged down. Is because how many of us sometimes wake up and we don't feel, pardon my grammar, I'm going to say it anyway, we don't feel nothing. In fact, we may even come to church sometimes and not feel nothing. <laughs> but you know what? I don't live by my feelings. I have to live by faith. The just shall live by faith. I have to live by faith. What does that mean? It means that when the word is already declared, if that if... If, if any man be in Christ Jesus, he is a new creation. I have to have faith that I'm a new creation. And then I have to walk out that faith. That's where we get bogged down is because, well, I just don't feel like he's listening to me. Well, but the Bible says, call and I will answer you. Right? How many times do we feel like, you know, we, somebody says something like, well, pastor, I feel like the heavens are brass. Well, pray anyway. Pray, pray anyway, because you may feel like the heavens are brass, but they're not. The Bible says that God is near to the broken heart and those of a contrite spirit. He's not far away. He's not aloof. I have to learn how to walk in faith and not rely on those feelings. That's why Jeremiah wrote, the heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. Who can know it? What he's saying is that sometimes your heart's going to lead you in the wrong place. God wants us to know for certain. Believing in Jesus is the only way to have eternal life. Again, the word to, to believe is what John writes, means to count on someone or, or to trust in someone. And it's very, again, it's a very exclusive statement. Again, that's why Christianity is hated and vilified so much because here's what John said. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life, period. Oh, that ruffles feathers today. Yeah, surely Jesus can't be the only way. Well, that's what he said. What did he tell Martha? He said, I am the resurrection and the life. I'm the beginning and the end. 
I'm the way, the truth, and the life. These are his statements. You know, John, again, John 14, 16, that's what he said. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. That assurance comes because we have it written in the Word of God. He, John writes, he said, I write these things to you. We, can rely, we, we can't rely on our emotions or our experiences to gauge our spiritual progress. We've got to rely on faith in what God has already said. Listen, salvation is not a performance. It's not, it's not like the trained monkey. You know, you ever see the old carnival, pictures of carnivals, and you have the, the music box and the dancing uh, uh, monkey. That, that's not what salvation is. I don't have to, I don't have to pl- dance to the tune to earn. Again, how many of us have been there? Again, like I said, when early on in ministry, that's the way I, perf- I performed. And if I happened to have a, a down Sunday or a low attendance day, I would go to the Lord and I would lay out my complaint. I don't understand. I've read the Bible every day. I prayed every day. I did this. Every, you, you see, I, I did this and I did this and I did this and I don't understand. And what I was doing is I was trying to earn brownie points and, and I hate to say that, I don't even want to breach that subject, but how many of us perform and then go to God and say, yeah, but I gave out food. I mean, shouldn't you listen to me in prayer? That's, that stings, does it not? I went to church faithfully four times in a row. Don't I get an answer? We do that. We do that. But that's not Salvation. Salvation is a gift that's given by God that's based solely and entirely upon the finished work of Jesus Christ at Calvary. That's it. It's grace. By grace are we saved. I love the, you've heard me say this before, but I love oh Andre Crouch. I used to listen to, I love to listen to Andre Crouch. And he tells a story one time when he was a little boy, and they would sing that amazing grace. He'd look at his mom and say, Mama, what's a wretch? What's a wretch? Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. It's amazing grace. Listen, eternal life is the promise that God gives to all who by faith accept the finished work of Jesus on Calvary. Jesus, the high priest, Again, if you want to take that analogy, you go back to the Old Testament. I've taught through the tabernacle, I think, three times in my 30 years here. The, the tabernacle, you go, into the, you go into the outer court, then you go into the inner court, and you go into the, 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 the tent of meeting, and you look around, and there's three pieces of furniture. Uh, you look in the outer court, there's two pieces out there. What you don't find in any of it is a chair. There's no chair. There's a, there's a, a brazen altar. There's a brazen laver. There's the table. Uh, there, there's the candelabra, the table of showbread. There, there are those things, but you'll never find a chair. Why? Because the work was never done. The priests, their job was never finished. Always having to make sacrifices. But the Bible says when Jesus ascended after Calvary, he sat down at the right hand of the Father. He sat down. Why? Because the work's done. Because the work's finished. There's nothing left to be done. I can't add anything to salvation, nor can I take anything away. It is the gift of God. 
by grace. So again, we, we add nothing to it. It's an act of grace. And, and, and again, I, I want to just caution you, and if you're online tonight, be careful. I, I mean, so many times we miss that reality, and we're constantly trying to earn the favor of God. You have it. When I stand before God in, in my devotion time, my prayer time, I'm not standing there on the merit of Mike Mizell. The Bible says my, my righteousness is as of filthy rags. So I don't stand before his holy presence with, my, with, with any merit on my, on my behalf because there is none. But what I do is when I accepted Christ and was born again, I, I was clothed in the righteousness of Christ. And when I stand before him, I, I'm, I'm standing there in the righteousness of Christ. And I'm accepted. I'm accepted. So many times we act as though we have to earn the favor of God. You don't have to earn the favor of God. Accept what Christ has already done for you. See, again, this is what separates Christianity from all other religions because they don't have that methodology. They don't have that reality. In fact, most world religions will, will tell you that you have to, that, that at the end of your life, you have to have more good deeds than you do bad deeds. And then if you catch your God on the right day, at the right time, in the right mood, you might make it. Some teach that if you don't get it right the first time, you keep coming back reincarnated until you get it right. You see, salvation for most of the other world religions rests entirely upon you. Not in Christianity. I'm not talking to you. That's bad. I got socks that have right foot and left foot on it, and I got a watch that tells me when, I'm <laughs> when to hush. That's bad. <laughs> I was having some therapy. I have, I've got one more therapy uh, session on my foot, the plantar, and the guy was working on my foot, and he looked at my sock, and he said, you got a, you got a, what's that R stand for? I said, right foot. <laughs> I said, they're idiot-proof socks. <laughs> Uh, yeah, that would be that would mess up his day. Uh, but 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 again, salvation for all the other world religions rests solely upon them. But in Christianity, God says, "No, I'll take care of it, and I'll freely offer it to you." And you see, for a lot of people, it sounds too good to be true. But the Bible says that God is not that He's not slack concerning His promises. Remember what He said: that God is not willing that any perish, but that all come to repentance. That's why we support missions, because we can't go to these places around the world. But with some of those people that were here Sunday, they'll pack up their families, they'll go to different places, and they'll share the good news of Jesus Christ. Why? Because God's not willing that any perish. He has a gift for them to receive eternal life if they would believe. Because if they don't have the Son, they have no life. There's nothing that we can do to warrant this amazing grace. When you start thinking about it, and i got to hurry up and close, there are ten benefits, I think, of personalizing this promise that we're talking about tonight. Number one, when you start talking about eternal life, I think it put, when we put the focus of salvation where it ought to be on God and not us, we, don't have to, we, we, can, we can quit performing. We can let the Holy Spirit work inside of us. We don't have to try to put on airs and pretend like we're somebody that we're not. 
You know, I tell people in town all the, you know, that if I'll meet somebody and I say, well, you're a preacher? You know, and, and sometimes I'm wondering why they're asking it like that. But, uh, but, but, but I'm me. I, I'm me. You know, I may, I may have blue jeans on. I might have a suit on. I might have, you know, my, my shorts on. I, I'm just me. And, and I don't know how to be anybody but me. I'm confident in my eternal destiny. And that frees me up. I don't have to perform. I don't have to, I don't have to try to, 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 to be like somebody. I can just be me in Christ and be confident that I'm, I'm secure in him. Another thing is it provides a way to live with confidence. Again, if I'm, if I'm comfortable and, and confident in my, in my eternal destiny, you know what? Again, that gives me confidence to go out in the world and, and, and tackle it. I have habitual things that go on, lifestyle habits and thing, attitudes. Hey, I'm confident we can, we can take, me and God, we can take care of that. Another thing gives us hope at the moment of death. Listen, I, I, you know, I, I've never wanted to be one to, to you know, I, I wanted to be an expert at a lot of things, but funerals was not one of them. You know, I just, but in 30 years, I've done a lot of funerals. And I promise you, there is a difference in officiating a service for someone who is, a, who is a believer and someone that there's a question about whether or not they had faith. There's a difference. There's a di- difference in the atmosphere. There's a difference in the mood. There's just something different about it. it give, when you're eternally secure in Christ, it gives us hope that when I draw my last breath, that what I, what, what, what's, what's last here is first there. And, and I always tell uh, the story about how in, i got to hurry, how in uh, Paul's writing to Timothy, and he said, the time of my departure is at hand. That word departure in the Greek has several different nuances, and they're beautiful. You know, we don't, we, we don't capture it because we look, we look at the word departure, and we, we think, okay, just kind of leaving, but it's so much more than that. You know, one of the ideas of departure is the, is the fact that it, it's, it was a nautical term, and, and what it meant was, how many of you remember the love boat? My mom loved the love boat. You know, back then, you didn't have 265 channels and a TV in every room. So if mama wanted to watch the love boat, guess what we watched? The love boat. <laughs> and, and, and every episode was the same. You have all these people that are getting on. If you've ever been on a cruise, you get on the, you go, you get on the gangway, you, you head up to the cruise ship. And, and uh, on the love boat, they always showed people that were here on the, uh, at the harbor, on the dock, watching their loved ones go up that ramp to get on the ship, and then they stand there at the edge of that ship, and as they set sail, they're, they're kind of waving. Well, so the idea of departure in the Greek is that, is that it means to unloose the mooring of your, of your life and set sail to a new destination. And so here's the way I look at it, is that every time you go to a funeral for a believer, we are part of that crowd that are, that's waving bon voyage. We're saying bye, so long. But there are other people on the other shore that are the welcoming committee that are saying welcome. Those loved ones that have gone on before, they're the welcoming committee, and now the one that we're doing the service for joins that welcoming committee. So when our time comes, we depart here. There will be people waving bye to us here, but then there will be others on the other side saying, welcome, glad you made it. 
Surprised you're here. No, I didn't. I just, just kidding. Just kidding. Just kidding. <laughs> that's not funny. That's good. <laughs> no, that, see, that's, the, that's, what, that's what being eternally secure is all about. It's, it's, it's resting in the comfort that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. To know that heaven, Jesus stood up with his disciples. He said, hey, guys, don't let your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in, my, in me and my Father's house. There are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go, I will come back. And I'll receive you unto myself that where I am, there you may be also. That's what it does for us. So when you go to the doctor and they say it's inoperable, it's untreatable, it's terminal, you can still say with Paul, for I know in whom I have believed in, and I am persuaded that he's able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. That's it right there. I'm going to close with this story. In his book, How to Begin the Christian Life, author George Sweating kind of correlates the idea of doubting our salvation to, to like a prisoner who uh, has been pardoned by the governor. And he illustrates it by saying, so a guard brings him the document signed and sealed by the governor to pardon him of his transgressions. And he said, suppose that you go up to that man and say, hey, have you been pardoned? He'll say, yes. And if you ask him, well, do you feel pardoned? He may say, no, I don't. It was just kind of all of a sudden and I was pardoned. And then you say, well, if you don't feel pardoned, then how in the world, pardon me, how in the world do you know that you're pardoned? And the man said, oh, well, let, let me tell you, it tells me right here in this paper. And he, he goes on and says, you know what? The promise of eternal life is spelled out in this paper right here. This, we've been pardoned. We've been forgiven. Our sins have been washed by the blood of Jesus. Our la- name has been written in the Lamb's book of life, and there's nothing the devil can do about it. As I close, please understand eternal life is found exclusively in Jesus not my performance. Number two, the only way to receive eternal life is by believing in Jesus and his finished work at Calvary. Number three, the eternal life is the only thing that will satisfy the longing of our soul. You know that woman, remember the woman at the well? Jesus said to her, said, woman, if you keep drinking this water, you're going to have to keep coming back to the well. But if you knew what it was, this water that I offer to you, Isn't that what he said? If you drink of this water, you will never thirst again. And she's like, hey, hey, I don't want, you know, she misunderstood, but he kind of went through and explained. Eternal life is the only thing that satisfies and fills the void. Eternal life is a gift of God's grace. Paul said in Romans that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is is eternal life. And then the last thing is this. It is our present possession. It's not something that happens in the distant future. It's not something that happens when we die. It happens when we're born again. If you have the Son, you have eternal life. I want you to stand with me tonight. I started here because I think that's a good foundation. We'll look at quite a few different promises, you know, uh, promises when we doubt, promises when we are guilt-ridden, things of that nature. But we start here because this is the foundation. If you've, if you've accepted Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, 
then you can build you can build on that foundation you don't have to you don't have to struggle with doubt you don't have to struggle with guilt the bible says there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus now now again the that would breach the subject of well then does that mean that I can go out and live any way that I want to? No, that's not what it says. In fact, Paul would even say, well, God forbid that you would even think like that. I mean, how dare you to even think that you could go on living in sin when you've already received the grace of God that he's offered to you? How in the world would you even think like that? That's my own paraphrase, but that's pretty much what he said. It's like, no, you don't continue in sin. You come out from among the world and you live separately. Again, we become ambassadors. We become light in darkness. That's why he said, let your light so shine before men that they may see our good works and glorify our Father who's in heaven. We build there, and everything else takes care of itself. We've got to have a good foundation. I'm thankful for eternal life. If, we, if, if, if our time comes tonight, God forbid anybody here, if Jesus is Lord of your life, and I'm sure most everybody here, your destiny's already settled. It's your present possession. It's your future hope. Won't you bow with me as we close in prayer? If you're online tonight, if you'll comment, I want, I want to pray with you as well. But if you're here tonight, and we're just going to close like this. Maybe you're here and say, you know what, Pastor, I, I, I've struggled with that. You talk about struggling with doubt in my salvation. Uh, I have. You know, I, I sometimes wonder... And we, we wonder, am I good enough? Well, aren't you glad it's not predicated upon whether or not we're good enough? It's, a, it's grace. God's grace. Marvelous grace. If you're here tonight, say, you know what, Pastor, I do struggle sometimes. I want you to just pray for me that God would help me to live by faith in his settled work and not my emotions. Thank you. Anybody else? Just slip in right, right back down. Amen. If you're online, if you'll pr- raise your hand, we'll, we'll pray with you as well. Father, tonight I thank you so much for your word. Lord, what a privilege it is to study your word, just to open up and partake of your, uh, of your word. Lord, it is nourishment to our soul. Father, tonight I pray as we start off this series with looking at our eternal life, it's found as a gift that you've offered to us who believe. Lord, I pray for those that might struggle with it from time to time. Lord, I pray that you would just give them that assurance tonight that salvation has nothing to do with how they perform. It has everything to do with what, Lord, you accomplished at Calvary. And Father, because of what you accomplished at Calvary, Lord, no temptation will overtake us. Lord, nothing... Lord, we, we're able to say no. We're able to stand our ground. We're able to walk and be more than conquerors, and nothing can separate us from your love. So, Father, I pray as we walk out of here tonight that we walk out with that assurance that, that, that Jesus Christ is Lord of our lives and that there's not a devil in hell that can pluck us out of your hand. And, Lord, I pray that you would give us that confidence that we would face the challenges and maybe the struggles that we have, maybe some addictions or some attitudes that are not pleasing to you. Lord, help us because we are eternally secure in you. Lord, I pray that you would help us defeat when the enemy comes against us. Now go with us, I pray. Give us a wonderful, restful night. Lord, as we prepare for our food distribution tomorrow, I pray we wake up with a spring in our step, a song in our heart. May we serve our community, Lord, with honor and dignity in your name. Father, should you tarry, bring us again on Sunday ready to receive your word. I ask you to bring people from the north, the south, the east, and the west that need an encounter with you and even now ordain what you're going to do. I love and I bless each one now in the mighty name of Jesus. And we all said, 
Amen. Thank you for being with us online. I look forward to seeing you next time. God bless you, and I love you very much.